0: while supplies last.
1: I don't expect any less from you guys. Why go anywhere else? It's Valentine's Day at Robert Irwin Jewelers. I don't know. Free financing, five locations or online at rijewelers.com. It's 2 p.m. in Memphis.
0: Giannato and Jeffrey time. Get off the fence. Live on Memphis' Sports Station, 92.9 FM ESPN. Jim, can Since that I
2: have to run this sudden heroes left me trembling Cause now it seems that I am
1: out of Welcome, welcome, welcome to the G and Ottawa and Jeffree Show. We're coming to you live from Memphis, Tennessee. My name is Jeffrey Wright. You can follow me on Twitter on X at jwright929ESPN. Dennis Fuller's producing the program for us. We're glad that he's with us. It is Wednesday, so that means it's buy, sell, short, or go to Reddit day. We will start the program by discussing the Tigers who take on Rice tonight, 7 p.m. ESPN Plus throwback jerseys night I saw the official Twitter account from Memphis posted out the game tonight with throwbacks and then if you scroll down to the comments one of my favorite comments was what channel's the game on and I'm here to answer this ESPN Plus so I don't know if technically we would call that on a channel but it is on ESPN Plus tonight Tigers currently about 14.5-point favorites. I've not looked since about 10.30 this morning, so I'm assuming it had not fluctuated a ton. I'm assuming that's roughly where it's going to be. The Tigers probably about somewhere in the 15-point range favorites tonight. We'll start off discussing what I assume everyone else is discussing out there, lineup questions, and I also have a theory about the way these next at least three games need to go. We also got news that Mark Gasol... Has officially retired from basketball. The Grizzlies, in conjunction, also announced that they will indeed be retiring his number. So there's a couple of things that I want to get to with that. In about 35 minutes or so, David Cobb's going to join the program. David wrote up the, I don't even know, we won't call it a notice of allegations, but the announcement or the report that Tennessee would be under investigation again for NIL. The developments today, the attorney general from the state of Tennessee, as well as the state of Virginia, they will indeed be suing the NCAA. I do not think that that is a coincidence, but I'll discuss this whole situation with Cobb because the one thing that seems to be the common theme from everyone is whether or not you whether or not how you feel about the Tennessee Vols, I think the first question with everyone was, wait, what? Even with the Florida State situation, when Florida State got punished, they at least gave some reasons, and you're like, okay, that's kind of dumb, but at least you understood assistant coach, like, leading, driving someone to the collective. Like, you could understand, like, it feels... At best, it felt like a technicality, but at least there felt like some marginal violation. I certainly didn't think the punishment fit the crime. But on this one, it feels like collectively, even from people that oftentimes, uh, let's just say, are the mouthpieces for the NCAA, they don't even seem to have a great grasp of what is going on. I've seen a little bit of poking at Tennessee's comments, but... I've not really seen anyone say, well, this is what the NCAA is actually trying to get them on. So I want to discuss that with Cobb. Also talk a little college hoops with him as well. Then at the second hour, we will get into the list. There's an interesting story over at the athletic, actually two interesting stories over at the athletic one is. Even though it is more Major League Baseball specific, it's a story about Bally Sports, the Amazon, the Amazon investment, how this is all going to work. There's a few notes in there that I think would specifically apply to watching Grizzlies games, so I wanted to get into that. Also, there's one thing The Athletic does absolutely better than anyone else. No one writes a post-mortem quite like The Athletic. We got our Jets postmortem today. Shout-outs to Diana Rossini. She got her first postmortem. I feel like that's that should be like a, a seminal moment when you join the athletic. Also, some interesting simulations from ESPN about where guys will land next year in the NFL. I thought there were a couple of interesting ones. The Seahawks have a new football coach, and there was an interesting note that I'd seen. Uh, floating around on Twitter that might have led to the decision. So I want to discuss that. Also, we'll get you ready for tonight's game as the Tigers will take on Rice tonight again. FedEx Forum, seven p.m. ESPN Plus. But it's Wednesday. Let's fire up buy sell short or go to Reddit. It's that time on ninety two nines and Jeffrey Show where we either buy, buy sell, sell short, short or go to Reddit. As just a quick aside, uh, there may be some people out there. It's always someone's first show. There may be some people out there. What the hell does buy, sell, short, or go to Reddit mean? Well, if you rewind the clocks back to 2020 during the GameStock, the GameStock, Robinhood, that entire craze that was during the peak of the pandemic, one of the factors in that was... Reddit with Wall with Wall Street bets. The aside that I have is Dumb Money, which is the film version of that, is now on Netflix. Could be heavy handed at time. Good watch. Would recommend. Couple of good moments. It still it gets like I said, gets a little heavy handed at moments. But overall, I found it very entertaining and a very good watch. Would recommend. So let's start first. Let's start with the Tigers. I got two Tigers buy, sell, shorts, or go to Reddit. And normally this would be where either one of us would read it and the other would have to react. Mark's still on try-dad duty, if you will. So I'm going to be left to read my own buy, sell, shorts, or go to Reddit. This might be the definition of narcissism. Nonetheless, here we go. Penny Hardaway will shake up the starting lineups tonight. This is a question that Jeff has been asking me in the mornings, and my initial reaction was yes. Three-game losing streak. Team is clearly not playing well. Those are typically the moments that we've seen where Penny shakes things up. Also, if you throw in some of the comments about needing more dogs, even though I guess technically that was a Malcolm comment, but Penny has said something largely to the same degree. But a lot of Penny's comments focus on frustration from a lack of execution. And so when you get into a position, if we just break it down simply as this, whether or not he is correct in his assessment, Penny believes the guys know what to do. And they're not doing it. Again, we can discuss whether or not that's a coaching issue, whatnot. But, like, let's let's throw out reaction and opinion, but let's just look at that situation. So when you have a case where you have a coach that believes the message and the game plan is being clearly conveyed, but it's not being... It's not being received. its I would actually argue, I would think, in Penny's, from this perspective, Penny believes that it's largely being ignored. That, to me, calls for a situation where you would normally shake things up. So the first instinct would be to buy this. However, I think back to Penny's comments from his radio show, and I would mentioned this yesterday... But one of the comments that really did stand out to me was the comments about the reaction from players after the game against UAB in which Penny said there was a moment of reflection of we get it we have to do we have to be better we've got to essentially what he was saying is we're not trying hard enough we're not taking it seriously enough we have to be better I mentioned yesterday just upon reflection and speculation, which is what we're here to do because they'll never name names, so therefore that's what you're left to do. I can see a world where that is, com- where those comments are directed towards David Jones and to a lesser degree, but still probably a degree, Javon Quinterly. I bring up those comments because if you're operating under the presumption that oh yeah, they're going to shake things up. Well, I can see where those comments would at least offer you the opportunity to say, let's see if they get it one more time and stick with it. I do, however, think that you probably have to buy this and so therefore I will buy this. (coughs) I think it's obvious some sort of changes have to be made. And while I think this is probably true when the Tigers were 15 and 2, they probably weren't quite as good as their record is as the record was, I should say. I also think it's true that the Tigers aren't as bad as maybe you feel about them during this three-game losing streak. The Tigers played a ton of close games, and largely at the beginning of the year, they came up on the right side of them. During the 15-2 and two stretch, I believe the stat was 8-1 and one in games decided by six points or fewer, the one loss being the one in Oxford. There's also a school of thought, if you play that many close games, eventually you might come up on the wrong side. I think that could be applied to the USF game and the Tulane game. When you think about down the stretch, I would still argue the USF game, that should be a win. When you have a 20-point lead, and I get it, you had the reduced attendance because of the weather and whatnot, you were still at home, you had a 20-point lead, you were clearly the better team, you were dominating the game, and you could not figure out a way to get a win, I don't really care close whatnot. That's a game you should have won. But where I would say the idea that you're not going to win all of these close games would come into play, when you start getting down to the final minutes, a shot here, a shot there, they've broken in your favor previously, well, maybe it's time where the ball bounces the other way. So I think that could be true. I also think that if you remember back to where we were when the season started, most conventional wisdom amongst people that knew the roster and had a pretty good understanding of the league largely thought this was a team that would contend for the title, the league title, but was likely to be in a similar spot to what they've been the previous two seasons. They're a tournament team, but they're somewhere around an 8-9 seed. Well, if we look at where they are currently, forget mood, but just look at where they are right now. If you go look at Jason Munz's story that we discussed yesterday on the show, that's basically exactly where they are. Whether it be Joe Lenardi... Whether it be Patrick Stevens, whether it be Jerry Palm, the bracket matrix, almost everyone kind of has the Tigers currently somewhere around an eight seed. Now, obviously, that's not projecting out the the final record, but and that's if it were to begin today, that's where they'd be. I think the biggest reason, though, that I think they're going to shake things up because. It's now gotten to the point where after you lose three straight games, it backs you into a corner and it makes you realize we got to do everything we can to get our best guys on the floor. And the reason why I think he'll shake things up is an effort to get the best guys on the floor. So what does that look like? The one thing that I feel very confident about tonight is Malcolm Dandridge will be in the starting lineup. Unless he has an injury I don't know about, I think Malcolm Dandridge will be in the starting lineup. And I think Malcolm has clearly brought it and has, is had a, having a great senior year, and he deserves to be there. Beyond that, that's when you can start to get into some questions. Nick Jourdain hasn't particularly done anything to play himself out of the rotation, Or out of the starting lineup. But at the same time, I don't necessarily feel like Nick has made a dominant case for I deserve to be here. If you think back to how Nick got his way into the starting lineup, I do think he had kind of earned his way because Jordan Brown was playing so poorly and Jordan was clearly giving you more, it made sense that you were going to move him into the starting lineup. Now, however, you have this interesting Naquan Tomlin issue. You bring Naquan in, and by all accounts, Naquan was a major addition. Multiple schools were going after him. He had a lot of offers. You brought Naquan in. To raise your ceiling. And I think it's fair to say in the role that he has had, it's not worked. And so now, if you were previously worried about whether or not I can play certain guys together, I think you've reached the point where you're past that. So now, whether or not Naquan and Malcolm can play together I think we've reached the point where you got to probably see it. Now, when we go to the three, that's where I think things get really interesting. Because David Jones, if you were just looking at his numbers, the thought of moving him out of the starting lineup would seem insane. In fact, if you're probably someone that just casually watches the Tigers... Or if you're like a national pundit that just casually watches the Tigers here and there. And you see that Naquan Tomlin's on, yet again, another... or I beg your pardon, that David James, David Jones is on another awards watch list, Final Ten or whatever. You would think, well, why would that be even a discussion point? For me, it's very much a discussion point because... If I cannot get more from David Jones on the defensive end, I am sending a very bad message. How can I preach defense, defense, defense? We've got to be better. We've got to give more effort on that end when the rest of the team looks at David Jones and sees that he doesn't have to give effort. Further, it seems obvious to me at this point David Jones is clearly a sore spot for other members of the team. I think it's also important to note, even though David Jones and his camp believe that he's going pro after this, David Jones is the one player that could return next year. So I do acknowledge that Penny has a delicate balancing act, and it's entirely possible that David Jones might find out his best offer next year is to return to Memphis. So I understand you have to be sensitive to that reality. Further, you have no idea how he's going to react if you were to sit him down. And to be clear, when we say sit him down, I'm not saying don't play him. He's clearly your best offensive player. But if you're trying to send a message and you're at a point where you got to get better and get better in a hurry, that seems like that would be a pretty good message to send. If he can sit David Jones for not giving enough effort on the defensive end, who couldn't he sit? I think the most likely change that we will see, though, I think it's probably going to be Jaden for Jaquan Walton. And the problem with Jaquan Walton is he is such a streaky shooter that his offense is just going to swing massively. Further, he hadn't really been doing as much on the defensive end and then when you factor in he's giving you nothing on the offensive end and you're at a point in which you're frustrated with your team and your team's ability to effectively execute the game plan well what we've seen with penny is when he's when he is frustrated that no one's executing the game plan jaden goes in because jaden will execute the game plan If you made me bet on that, that's a 51-49 proposition. You could also talk me into no changes. But again, the point of the arguments: is buy, sell, shorter, go to Reddit. So I'm going to still buy it. I think it's still most likely that we will see some sort of shakeup tonight. That brings us to the actual game. So, our second buy sell shorter go to Reddit. Memphis needs to beat Rice as badly as they can. And it's unfortunate that I'm writing them myself because I'm essentially just making my own point, but that's the gimmick. So, hang with me here. I'm obviously buying this. When you were 15 and two, you had given yourself some runway. You'd given yourself some runway to actually have this three-game stretch that you just had. You bought yourself some mulligans. While the UAB loss was understandable to anyone that realized the context of the situation, hey, UAB made this their Super Bowl, damn near sold out their arena. It was, for them... A massive, massive game. You win on the road. We've seen winning on the road this year has been very difficult. You didn't play well in the second half, and you got beat. That happens night in, night out in college basketball. To good teams, too. The problem is UAB on paper is probably not as good as UAB was on Sunday afternoon. It's quad three loss. So that means in the span of your three-game losing streak, two of those three losses have become quad three losses. Now, I suppose it's possible that UAB could play themselves up into the... I think you need them to be in the top 120, and therefore you can move it to a quad two game. But the biggest reason why... Memphis needs to start blowing people out and blowing teams out that are capable of being blown out and Rice very much would qualify. Because of what has happened the previous three games, you've essentially used up your runway. And more importantly, we don't know what the Tigers have to do this next 11 games. I tend to think 8-3 and three gets it done. But we still do not know what the perception of the league is going to be. And it's entirely possible, even if you go 8-3 and three during that stretch, you could finish on the low end. You could finish very much behind North Texas, SMU, FAU. Perhaps even Charlotte and South Florida. I think at eight and three, you are not likely to finish behind all of them. It's also possible at with that you could finish behind SMU. So if Memphis, in the worst case scenario, even going eight and three, if you find yourself fifth in the league, Are we sure that's a slam dunk? It hasn't happened before. When we've seen teams that got in, it's usually they finished inside the top four. So I don't feel 100% confident that saying even eight and three would get it done. I would bet that it would get it done, but that's it. I'm making a bet. What Memphis has the opportunity to do during these next three games is to help the beauty pageant contest. Because what we've seen from the last three weeks is that Memphis has now played themselves into they very much could leave it up to the judges. And this could become a beauty contest. And the number one way To help the beauty contest is to juice the metrics. I believe it was Steve Forbes. It was a Saturday, and I believe it was Wake Forest. And Wake Forest kept their starters in basically all the way up to the last minute. It was definitely an ACC game. I'm nearly certain it was Wake. Steve Forbes was asked about it after the game, even though the game had been decided, why he did that. And Steve, credit to him, if indeed that is who I saw, said it. He said the quiet part out loud. Hey, man, we know that we're one of those teams that it's going to be bubble-ish and margin of victory matters. For everyone that has complained when the Tigers were 15-2 and about the net ratings... A huge part of it is that when Memphis gets into games where they are expected to blow teams out, they do not do it. Now, the flip side of this is if you do start blowing these teams out, you can flip the script very quickly. Memphis, after beating Wichita State, in Wichita, I believe the line was four and a half. Maybe it was five. Memphis, of course, wins by 25-plus. Massive. And, and for those asking, why, what, what's the essentially, the spread is going to be very similar. If you're covering, you're usually going to juice your metrics. It's just the way that it works. Because they're usually using the same concept, which is predicted score. Did you beat expectations? Margin of victory. It's how a lot of these teams, when we ask how do these teams have the metrics they do, well, it's, this is the way beating up on bad teams by a lot. Memphis has taken the approach under Penny that these are the times where we get everybody in. And the concept is the concept is to build depth. But I also think that's the spin because I think the reality is it's an attempt to keep everyone happy. But I would also argue that's a good indicator that you've probably got too many mouths to feed. But the problem is now, had you gone 2-1 in the previous three games? Sure. Do all the development that you want to do. I would also ask, how much developing of a player is really going to happen when you beat up on Rice Wichita State and Temple. I mean, how much development is really happening in those games? I think it's more likely that the reality is it's trying to keep everyone happy. You've reached the point now, now though, where keeping everyone happy is not the reality. Memphis, after that Wichita State game, moved up nine spots in the net. Last night, Gonzaga hammered a terrible LMU team at home. Moved up five spots in the net. If you want to watch the Tigers' numbers go up and go up quickly, start hammering these teams that you should be hammering the next three games. Because while it's not a guarantee, Tigers could obviously win the conference tournament. This is a non-discussion. There's a better-than-average chance that this could get iffy come tournament selection time. When it gets iffy and you leave it up to the judges, you got to give yourself the best possible chance. And to me, it starts with a game like Rice where they come in with one win. They've had a couple of close losses, and it's a spot where you're back at home. Perfect spot to see if you can hang a number. Oftentimes what we see is when bad teams are knocking on the door and they can't get over the hump, there's usually a laydown spot. I think it's time for Memphis at this point to start flexing and do that. Now let's turn our attention to the Grizzlies because, again, we got the news today that Marcus Gasol is officially retired. Obviously, he's not played in the NBA. He did play over in Spain, I think, on a team he owned. But he made it official that he indeed retired today. Maybe I'll talk about this a little bit with Cobb during the next segment when we talk about Tennessee as well. But the buy sell shorter go to Reddit is that Marcus All is the greatest living grizzly. It obviously is a point of view question. Are we talking about one peak season? Because if it's one peak season, I don't know if it's Mark, but if you look at throughout the franchise, and obviously Jaw's going to have a lot to say about this. I think Jaron's going to have a lot to say about this. It's entirely possible Desmond has a lot to say about this, but I think Jaw's going to have the most to say about this. Here are the raw numbers. In franchise history, Mark is first in minutes played. Second in games played. First in rebounds. First in defensive rebounds. Second in offensive rebounds. First in total rebounds. He's second in the franchise in assists. Third in the franchise numbers in steals. First in blocks. Second in points. First in field goals made. Second in triple doubles. He's the only franchise's Three-time All-Star. And he's still the only Grizzly to ever make first-team All-NBA. It's obviously an incomplete picture. But at this point in time, Dennis, I'm buying this. If we're going to try and separate this out, I think the numbers have to speak for themselves. And the, really the first part is, I think the trump card is, he's still the only first-team All-NBA player. He's also got a defensive player of the year. Jaron has one of those two. But he's still also the only player to make two All-NBA teams. When you rack up the accomplishment, at this point in time, I think Marcus Saul is the greatest living grizzly. We'll talk about that, and let's talk about this Tennessee NCAA investigation with Cobb, little college hoops, and more. We'll do all that next, right here on Giannotto and Jeffrey, 929 FM, ESPN.
0: Giannotto and Jeffrey, broadcast live from the Red River Toyota Studios. Check out Red River Toyota in Wynn, Arkansas. This hour of G&J is brought to you by the Next Generation 10G Network. Only from Xfinity. The Giannotto and Jeffrey Show on 92.9 FM
1: ESPN. David Cobb writes about college football and basketball for CBS Sports. Follow him on Twitter on X at Cobb. Cobb, I want to get to the Tennessee story in just a moment. We get the news that Mark has indeed officially announced his retirement. The Grizzlies are indeed going to retire his jersey. I was kind of mulling it over before the show. Obviously, Jaw's going to have a ton to say about it in the future. But at this point in time, is Mark Gasol the greatest living Grizzly? Wow, what a question! First
2: of all, when you said Mark retired, at first I thought you were talking about no. Well, he's well,
1: kind of. I mean, you know, he's 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 got three kids now.
2: Which is insane,
1: by the way. I just texted
2: him. Uh, yeah. Congratulations. I didn't realize number three was here already. Oh uh, yeah.
1: Wow. Okay. Oh uh, well. Okay. I mean, in fairness, uh, she baby, she's healthy. Great. Everything. But, and Lindsay's great, but she was five weeks early. So it, you you're not off on that.
2: Okay. All right. I, I just wasn't ready yeah, yeah. for that. But uh But anyway, anyway, uh, congrats to Mark Giannato. Congrats to Mark Gasol. Mm-hmm. Uh, great day for the Mark. The Mark G's. Yep. Uh. Including, yeah, I was reflecting on the Gasol thing earlier, too, because I was on the beat uh, when he was traded. And I remember the day it came out, probably via Champs or Woj or something, that they were actively shopping Conley and Gasol. And I got the video after practice of Gasol saying my relationship um, with the Grizzlies might change, but my relationship with the city of Memphis never will. And he was on the brink of tears. And it was one of those most it was one of the most poignant moments of my time on the beat, which I not like I was I'm not Ron Tillery. I wasn't there forever, you know, but uh, still it's one of those moments that always sticks out to me. Uh, so I think I think it's the core four. I don't know that you put elevate any one player above the collective group. The the core four is what I will forever associate with that era of Grizzlies basketball. Marcus Hall was a huge part of that. There's no denying that. If you want to try and rank the core four, have at it but to me it's always going to be that group and uh you know their their ne- their names and their numbers will all be retired and, and remembered together and I think yeah. that's the way it should be
1: no it, it is I mean you're for this premise of it I gave him the nod because he's still the only player to be first team all-nba he's the only player to go to three all-star games and he's the only player that's appeared on multiple all-nba teams so kind of like and then when you rack up the the stats, I mean, obviously because of the amount of games played, he's going to be up there, but I mean, he was, he was even up there in assists. Like he's the third, I think he's, let's see, third, Beg your pardon, third in steals, second in assists in franchise history. Wow. Yeah. What a legacy. It's awesome.
2: I can't wait for that, for that ceremony, for that day, uh, when they do retire his jersey and, uh, it's 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 special. It's it's cool too. Mark's story because of the Lausanne factor. I was going to say, do I mean, you because
1: remember? Because I remember I was in eighth grade, and when it was Lausanne game, like that was a must see event. Fat Mark is still the best Mark. When he would just <laughs> cherry pick on one end of the floor, it was awesome.
2: Uh, I remember uh, playing a JV game at, at Lausanne and being in uh just being in that gym and being like, holy smokes, this is where Marcus also yeah, is all. Yeah, I know. It's cool. like
1: it's like yeah, and it's 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 such a small gym too. It's like. Literally, you know, one of the one of the greatest players in Grizzlies history. Like this is where he played basketball,
2: right? So weird, and he was a throw-in in that trade. And that that's such a crazy dynamic too. That he was in the trade with his brother that everybody tore the Grizzlies apart for. That was regarded as this awful trade. What are the Grizzlies doing? And then Marcus all turns out to be uh, arguably the greatest player in franchise history, you know, uh, cementing the Grizzlies' identity in the city of Memphis. And so the fact that he was kind of one of our own uh, too, it, it does it does kind of set him apart in a way. Um, and, and I like that each individual player has their own their own night in, in the forum, right, to have their jersey sure. tied. Uh, but in the end, to me, it, it's it's the four, it's the collective unit, the group, and and of that, Marcus Saul was certainly a massive part.
1: Yeah, the the front office, Chris Wallace, loves to point out. Well, we believed in Marcus Saul They believed yeah. in him enough to take Hashim Thabit. If they would have believed in him enough, they wouldn't have drafted Thabit. You know what I mean, like Just, that. And then then an you interesting can interesting point. Then you can always yeah. do the what ifs there.
2: Well, and, and you know, then there was the. the uh, correct me if I'm wrong here, but didn't they draft
1: uh, Kyle Lowry after Mike Conley? Um, no, Kyle was first, then Conley. Okay. Well, they uh, both those guys had remember, to beat out. They had the, there, you know? they had the weird thing where Ivoroni wouldn't play Conley. Was it home games or road games? I can't. I can't remember. He wouldn't play. I think it was road games. Maybe he wouldn't play him. It was just bizarre. Like it was it, that is like the fact that the fact that some of those like dysfunctional messes could lead to one of the best runs that we've seen, it's like, it's still unbelievable to think about.
2: Yeah. The fact that they also were able to bring in Tony Allen and Zach Randolph and make them such a integral part of all that. When neither one of those guys had the best reputation, but Tony Tony Allen had the best years of his career in Memphis. And then Zach Randolph was unbelievable. I mean, to me, uh, each one of those guys contributed such a unique, something so unique. They were all such different players. Tony being that perimeter stopper, that, he kind of embodied Memphis uh, as much as any of them. And then Zach uh, with the Memphis embracing him and saying, Hey, you know what? We know the rest of the league is kind of done with you, but like we want you here and then we're going to embrace you and love you. And then he ends up loving them back and giving back so much to the city. Um, I'll just never forget the way he carried the team in that, that series uh, against the Spurs when they broke through um, and upset San Antonio uh, when they were, you know, sort of at their peak and, um, yeah, it's, you know, I hate the way it ended uh, with Mark and Mike and that, that trade was tough, but I love the fact that w- the Memphis Grizzlies treated the two of them with such class because, like, you see it around the league a lot of times, like in Golden State when they traded Andre Iguodala, and he didn't want to suit up for Memphis. Well, the fact is, Golden State traded him to Memphis. Yes. They traded him to a, quote-unquote, rebuilding team, right? Um, Memphis didn't do that with Marcus All and Mike Conley. They traded Marcus all to a team that went on to win the NBA uh, championship, and then they traded Mike Conley to a place where he, he's uh, been able to really kind of flourish over the final season of his career. So,
1: um, And while Utah I, I, didn't win a title, they were first in the West. You know what I mean? They were number one seed. Yeah, absolutely. And they gave Mike full opportunity to
2: reclaim his value. Because if I, if I recall, he was coming off of an Achilles injury uh, you know, north of 30, right? And yeah. that's not a guarantee that you, you're going to get it back. And they let him show that he still had it. And they, they got Max yeah, you were or, or as much as they could for him at the time. So, yeah, it's a kind of wild, like uh, just just kind of seeing. I guess Mike's the only one left in the league now, you know. And that's uh, I don't know. It's, it's kind of surreal.
1: I still think overall, like my favorite rivalry is still the Clippers rivalry during that <laughs> during that run. Like you know, the A O Blake S M D. Like that's <laughs> the other thing about Zebo. It's like just when Blake was pretty boy of the league, like just Randolph never taking anything. Like I just, those are just some of my absolute favorites. Oh yeah. Dude. I think I'm still mad about the things TJ
2: Simers wrote, you know, uh, it, for me, it was one of those things where it's like, you know, growing up, Oh man, I couldn't wait to get out of Memphis. Right. Like, uh, I thought Memphis had a monopoly on the world's problems and, and I love the Grizzlies, but I couldn't wait to go somewhere else. But then you go somewhere else and, and you see your city get attacked, uh, by a columnist in LA and it, and it a little bit. yeah, yeah, it changed your, your your viewpoint a little bit when you got when you got uh, people like that coming in on your city, and uh, you know. So anyway, to come back and be able to cover uh, the end of that era, man, that, that was that was really cool for me, and, and then obviously the beginning of a new era too with with Ja. Um, so, uh, man, just a kind of a crazy crazy time, um, you know. And now you, you look at where the Grizzlies are at now, and I love the way they're fighting, man. Like without. All these players who have been injured, obviously, without job, but with bane: They had to bring up Matthew Hurt just to be able to play the game on Monday. I know it, you know, Scotty Pippen Jr. I mean, come on, right? Like, this is, this is wild. Like, uh, But they're, they're, they're still fighting, and they're still – I think they're embodying the city as much right now as they have in a long time by just being gritty. <laughs> I know, I know that, that's not the, the official marketing slogan anymore, grit and grind, but uh, they're, they're sure
1: playing uh, with some grit and grind right now. We're talking with David Cobb of CBS Sports. Follow him on Twitter on X, at David W. Cobb. Okay, you've written about about the Tennessee investigation. So here's, I guess, where I want to start. What the heck are they investigating? Because the thing that was so fascinating to me is I I know sometimes NCAA investigations, they'll leak to exactly who they leaked to yesterday. But then they're kind of light on details after that. But what stands out to me is collectively, anyone that covers the sports, like, I, I don't know what we're doing here. And so can you paint a picture of what is actually being investigated? Well, I
2: think what happened is over the last couple of years, you heard administrators and coaches, a lot of coaches, begging for this term guardrail. They wanted guardrails around NIL, and they wanted some level of enforcement over pay-for-play. And so the NCAA is beholden to its members, which are the universities. uh, And they said, okay, well, if y'all want enforcement and guardrails around NIL, well, okay, here you go. And now Tennessee's the most high-profile case. It centers around Nico Yamaliyava and the $8 million that he's getting. And and so that's a big headline. But Florida and Florida State have been caught up in this too in recent weeks. Yeah. So Florida State just got hit with some – relatively significant by the NCAA standards types of penalties. And then now Florida is under investigation for its recruitment of uh, Jaden Rashada with the NIL stuff. So uh, Tennessee is just kind of the most high profile case and they are more at risk. Uh, than a lot of other schools would be, because it was only six months ago that they settled a case that involved eighteen level one infractions, so they're on a five year probation because of that. so if you 're Tennessee, that's really the only thing that you're afraid of because uh, you're you're when you're on probation um you're liable to be hit with stiffer penalties but at the end of the day, uh, Tennessee's going to fight this. It's just funny. We're going in a circle here where the schools are begging for the NCAA to enforce its rules, and then any time a school gets hit with that enforcement, they threaten to take the NCAA to court. It's uh, like, what what are we doing here? It's, it's pretty ridiculous, and, and Tennessee's made it clear they're going to fight this quite aggressive here.
1: So we get the news that the attorney general is going to bring a lawsuit against the NCAA. I believe also the state of Virginia is joining Tennessee in this Lawsuit. Some of it is posturing, although I thought it was very specific. So they sent out a press release. So that's how you knew that they wanted it out there. I don't know if you got it, but it came into our inboxes. The very first thing that I took note of was they're suing, basically, they're suing for antitrust reasons. Mm -hmm. And the reason why I took note of that is I don't know how public it became, but I always know amongst athletic director circles when Tez Walker for North Carolina was, when they couldn't get him eligible, the state of North Carolina with the attorney general threatened legal action. And it was on, on these grounds. So I did take note of that as, because Tennessee's very much come out acting as if they're fighting this and good for them. But I did wonder, it's like, okay, is that is that the threat? Because typically when – the NCAA starts hearing that type of legislation or that type of court decision. They don't want any part of it. That's right.
2: Yeah, you look at the case in West Virginia uh, that has now set the precedent for two-time transfers. Uh, that's the latest prominent example of the NCAA losing in court, and that's, I'm sure, what has emboldened Tennessee here to uh, sue the NCAA because that, that case with Raekwon Battle, the West Virginia basketball player, he was trying to get eligible as a, as a two-time transfer. Uh, the uh, NCAA was taken to court by a collection of states, which is what we're seeing here. Uh, it's not just the, the state of Tennessee, it's also Virginia uh, suing, and the NCAA has so so far, to this point, lost in that case uh, involving the West Virginia kid, and because of that loss all these two-time basketball players around the country are now eligible. Brandon Murray down at Ole Miss is a key example of a, a local area product of somebody who's who's benefited from, from the NCAA's recent loss in court there, and so now tennessee comes after the ncaa for uh, antitrust stuff uh the ncaa is either gonna have to back off or they're gonna have to risk taking another loss in court (laughs) and uh i'm sure there's a lot of athletic departments around the country that are kind of hoping tennessee just wins this and that the ncaa continues to sort of fade into oblivion here uh, because it's all going to a place where the athletes are going to be employees and we're going to look back at something like this in a few years and be like wow remember when the NCAA threatened to uh, you know, cut Tennessee off at the kneecap because of uh, NIL inducements. Like, wow, that was crazy, you know? Because it, in just a few years' time, in all likelihood, all signs kind of point to you know the the athletes having collective bargaining uh, rights and being able to uh, kind of have the benefits and the protections of uh, employees.
1: You may not know the answer to this because I don't know if anyone does. But I, I, what I've really struggled with is, okay, we can understand the NCAA's trying to regain some power, as you said. you know, they, There's this movement to put guardrails and whatnot, so they want to flex their muscles. You also have a new president. That oftentimes can lead to an invigorated staff. I still don't understand what are they trying to get Tennessee on. In, in the end, like, like, even when I think about with Florida, Jaden Rashada didn't play at Florida. He went to Arizona State. And my question is, is like, what is it that Tennessee has or hasn't done that has opened them up to be the subject of an investigation? When we look around the country, I mean, you know, when, when you look at all of like, you know, why I get I'm not to piss off Ole Miss fans. but Like, why pick Tennessee over Ole Miss when Ole Miss is clearly having a ton of NIL success?
2: Well, I think they can make a, a statement or a point with Tennessee because you could argue that the eight million dollar price tag that's long been associated with Nico Iamaliava, the the quarterback who's going to be Tennessee's star next season, like that, you could argue he is the most high profile beneficiary of NIL in this era that that we that we know about. I'm not saying nobody else has made that money or that no other school has. has I, I can tell you, right.
1: there's a quarterback at Texas that has made more. But I will give you, I will give them this. The official number's never really gotten out.
2: Right, and with Tennessee, that, that number has always been a fix to NICO, uh, for better or for worse, and, and I think that makes them an easy target. But here's the thing. Is there a paper trail? That, that's what it comes down to. They need a smoking gun, either in the form of an email or a text message that uh, suggests it was an inducement for NICO. And if those conversations happened over the phone or if they happened in person, uh, then there's really going to be no way for the NCAA to prove its case. Uh, so as long as Tennessee was buttoned up in the way they approached it uh, and, and wasn't dumb and didn't leave a paper trail, then I don't know what I don't know what the NCAA is going to find here. Uh, but they're probably trying to make an example out of Tennessee just because of how prominent uh, that Nico dollar figure has been now for a couple of years.
1: Do you think anything comes to this? Because That's like I guess really at a
2: certain it. point, I do have to say like they did give Florida
1: State a penalty.
2: Yeah, I think the court battle uh, makes it interesting, and I think it probably puts the NCAA on its heels. I mean, Florida State probably didn't want to risk drawn-out uh, litigation because they're trying to they they're paying all their lawyers to find a way out of the uh, ACC grant right at the
1: moment. They, yeah, they didn't, they didn't want to have, they didn't want to fight a war on two fronts.
2: Yeah, they probably didn't have the billable hours to go around mm-hmm. uh, to, to do war with the NCAA as well. Uh, so Tennessee's going to do war with the NCAA. Uh, they they kind of don't have a choice because of the uh, the previous case because they're on probation. If they just sit down and take it, the punishment might be rather harsh, uh, and so they're not going to sit down and take it, and uh, they're going to be forceful with it. And, you know, at the end of the day, the NCAA's been so unsuccessful at lobbying Congress for these NIL uh antitrust exemptions that i'm not sure they're going to have a leg to stand on when they get into a courtroom and a judge sees some of the conflicting guidance that the ncaa has given over the last few years and they see now the ncaa president himself charlie baker proposing a revenue sharing model i think i think it feels uh, hypocritical perhaps for the ncaa to uh be trying to to police what 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 an athlete can make and, and you know when those conversations are
1: had. Well, Cobb, remember they're not proposals. They're just uh, what did he call it? A, a conversation starter. Mm, there we go.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the,
1: trying to start the conversation. Yeah. I mean, I, it's not to Start a dialogue.
2: <laughs> yeah, he inherited a mess, but like uh, he's he's fighting an uphill
1: battle here, and uh, I don't think he has a whole lot of hope. Are they tipping? Is the NCAA tipping its hand and saying that, like, you know, I mean, they're the, to me like they're just a they're a wounded animal and they're lashing out as they're bleeding out like (laughs) but like at a certain point like I do sit there and go well I mean I am waiting for some school to sit there and go when they get their when they get their punishment no I thought Florida State might do it but then Florida State was just like whatever and they just kind of made a little bit of hissy fit and moved on but like I do wonder if this is expediting exactly what we're talking about which is like just doing away with
3: Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. It's over here. After investing billions to light up our network, T-Mobile is America's largest 5G network. Plus, right now, you can switch, keep your phone, and we'll pay it off up to $800. See how you can save on every plan versus Verizon and AT&T at T-Mobile.com slash across America.